Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. How do we bring heaven to earth? That is a massive question. It requires an incredible amount of knowledge to be able to do that. Someone asked a scientist, is there life on other planets? And the scientist said, we don't know. By the knowledge that we have currently of the universe, it's like going to the ocean with a cup of water, scooping up the cup of water and concluding that there are no fish in the sea because there wasn't a fish in that cup. There is so much that we don't know. We now have AI, and AI is going to change the world as we know it. AI can generate images, analyze data, even write essays for you. But what is the one thing it can't do? We can't force it to love us. Does that sound familiar? Of all the knowledge in the world, the thing we want to know the most is that we are loved unconditionally, that we are known for who we are, and that is what Jesus does for us. Everybody wants to be loved unconditionally. That is actually the cry of the human heart. The church, as we know, worldwide has been through a time of pruning over the last few years, and we really needed that. What we're called to do is to get back to our first love, that first love of experiencing Jesus and being filled with his Holy Spirit, to remember that time when you first encountered unconditional love. When we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, he is not AI, he is pure I. He is the pure intelligence. He is the unconditional love. And He fills us with His Spirit. And as you learn to follow Him and take Him at His word, step by step and day by day, you are gradually transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Together, we start to create communities that represent what heaven is actually like. And we start gradually to bring heaven to earth, where we love each other unconditionally. We accept people for who they are. And then from that, as we gather together, we have dreams and visions for the world beyond us, for the planet, for creation, for other people. It all starts with returning to our first love and we take him at his word step by step and day by day. And that is how we bring heaven to earth. Vision is not about so much as what we're doing, but where we're going. And over the next few weeks, you'll hear more of what we're doing. But today we're talking about where we're going. It's the vision of how we can see clearly to where we're going. And so it's not going to say we are going to do this program. or This This is the big picture of where we're going, where we're called to go as a church. And, uh, and as you all know, as I said in that video, the last few years around the Western world, the church has gone through an upheaval and we actually needed it because we need to get back to who we're called to be. And throughout the centuries, over the last two 2,000 years, the church has gone through these times where it's been wonderful and then we've taken things into our own hands and then God strips it back. And I believe we're in a new era, particularly in the Western world, of what God is calling us to do. And this is your opportunity and mine to remember the vision that he's given us and to take him at his word and to commit ourselves to doing it. A vision of our church we call bringing heaven to earth and it's based on the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And over the years, many of you have said to me, I don't get that. 
it's like too vague, too big, too fluffy, too something. And I love that. I even love that you say that. If you're sitting there thinking it's too big for me, I can't wrap my head around it. The whole aim is that you can't wrap your head around it. If you can wrap your head around it, you're God. There's longing in us to know everything, but you can't know everything. There's a a poem by Robert Browning, a 19th century British poet, about an artist called Andrea del Sarto. And there's a line that um, ever since I taught this to Asher, actually, I think I taught this to you. And no, I didn't actually, wrong class. Um, I remember now. (laughs) Uh, A man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? A man's reach should exceed his grasp. If you can grasp it, it's not as big as heaven. If you can't grasp it, this is great. We're going something somewhere really, really well, really, really great. Now, a few months ago now, I think it was a couple of months ago, unfortunately, it disappears. Uh, Graham and I went on a holiday. <laughs> you know how the holiday seems to be like a, a shore, a, the shoreline that's disappearing as the ship sails? It's still there a little bit. But anyway, um, we went to the Mediterranean and we went to this little island called Milos, um, you may have heard of the statue of the Venus de Milo. It was actually found in a paddock in the island of Milos. And, uh, but there was a French man there in the harbour, French commander, and he saw it and now it's in the Louvre. The, um, the, the Greeks missed out on this amazing statue that a farmer found in his field. That's the island of Milos. So we went on a little tour of Milos and we were on a bus that took us up to this village on the top of a hill and then we went down the other side of the hill through fairly dry territory, then onto a, a rough dirt track. And you could see the, the Mediterranean glistening in the harbour in front of us, but there was nothing else around. And we went, came around a bend on this little dirt track and there was the entrance to some underground caves. And they are some amazing... that They were catacombs for the early Christians. There's, they're called the third most important catacombs in Christian history, but for some reason... There's no gift shop there, so someone hasn't grasped onto this. You just go down this rough track and there they are and you go into where this place where the Christians worship. Now, this group of Christians who went to Milos were the first ones to flee from persecution in Israel and the first ones to settle in an area that's now called Europe. First ones. Now, I was really taken by this because we went down into these underground caves. There's a little bit of stuff down. There's some lights there you can see down there now. And... I saw these people on this side of the hill and when we came out there was actually an ancient baptismal font as well with steps going into it from the west and coming out into the east symbolising dying and coming into the light. And it's still in a very concealed part of the island. But what struck me was the gap, okay? So there's a gap. So you've got these people who fled persecution. They come to this little Greek island. They hide in caves to worship. But somehow... They transformed the culture of the entire island and collectively with other believers um, changed the entire Western civilization. How did they do that? How did they go from in hiding, fearful for their lives, to transforming society? And I'm still pondering that gap. Okay, that gap is really important. I'd really love us all to consider that. They had had a vision and they worked it out. And somehow everyone on that island and then everyone in the West where all the other people fled embraced what they had discovered. 
and it transformed society. Till a couple of hundred years later, it was the, the main religion. All the persecution had stopped, well, to a certain extent, continues to go on in different places even today. And so this is what we're looking at. How do a group of believers, when everything is stripped back and get back to what it's all about, actually do the work that we're called to do and bring heaven to earth? How do we actually do that? Because those Christians knew something there that I believe that we're meant to learn from. And so as we look at this and what the Western world particularly has been through, because that's our world, we embarked last year on a process to, uh, to develop a strategic plan for the, the stripped-back church to get back to what we're all about. And many of you took part in this. We were led by Bob McDonald, who does this with many, many organisations, government organisations, church organisations, missionary organisations. And it began with a survey that went out to the whole church and uh, more than 250 of you took part in that. And thank you for doing that and gave your comments and your thoughts and your feelings and each comment and each thought and each feeling has been analysed and discussed. And from that we developed teams and then we had several nights where every ministry invited three people who represented their ministry to come along and together we talked and prayed. We had a huge range of people ranging from about age of about 15 to about 80. So we had a good representative of the whole church with the different ministries. And on those nights, people wrote down in little groups, wrote down what they felt God was putting on our heart, on their hearts for our church and where we're meant to go. And then we collated all those things and we put them into groups. And the amazing thing that happened is that they fell perfectly into the three purpose statements of our church so our vision is to bring heaven to earth and our three purpose statements are this to do it within each individual among us as a group of people and beyond that's why we say we bring heaven to earth and we do it within among and beyond and everything fitted perfectly into that and what we discovered was that the vision for this church is written firmly on the hearts of you as well as me and I don't bring you the vision and say this is where we're going I draw out of you what God has put in your hearts and together we move together to fulfil that vision here where we're planted and beyond us. It's in our hearts already and God is is, uh, forming it and we're developing a strategic map and the strategic map you'll see on the screen now and I'll give it to you later so that you can see where you might fit into this. And I just want to unpack those three areas that came out from the, the things that have been pulled from the several hundred people who have been um, contributing to this and and divide them in those three categories of within, among and beyond and the titles that we drew from that, from all the thoughts and comments that came from everybody. And then as you listen to this, through this morning, please listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you personally because it all begins with you personally. And the first thing, the aspect of within that we, we've entitled is to bring life transformation. Because the goal of it, firstly, is to understand the goal of our faith. And I totally believe that over the last several years, one of the the things that has happened in churches generally is that some people, might, might be you, have been challenged in so many ways and some people have disconnected from church. And sometimes I think we don't understand the goal of our faith. Sometimes you can be brought to church or you think you're coming to faith in Jesus just for um, things to go well in your life. 
sometimes I've heard people say, well, I don't really need church because I discovered during COVID I was happy anyway. And that told me that their goal in life is just to be happy. And everyone wants to be happy. I'm not saying it's wrong to be happy. I just want to, I just feel that we're meant to paint a stronger picture about why we choose to follow Jesus. Because we're actually called to be transformed. And God's blessing and happiness will flood into our lives. But there's something far bigger and it starts with you, you and Jesus and you being transformed. John Wesley expressed it like this. The goal of our faith is to grow perfect in love, to be able to be the kind of humans who are able to fully receive all of God's love for us and then to be able to love him back and to overflow with his love to the people around us. It's what um, some people call spiritual formation. It's actually who you are becoming and what God loves about you is not just who you are in your raw state but who he designed you to be and how he can transform you into that person and it becomes comes through a relationship with him. Dallas Willard describes it like this, spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human heart, of human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or will. It's being formed, really transformed, in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. So as you are transformed in your heart and your mind, the, the expression of it will be the deeds of Christ in the power of Christ. So lest we think that it's just a static thing um, where you think, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, it's it's a growing thing because it's about being human and it's about being in relationship with God. It says even about Jesus from when he was a boy. Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and all the people. And God has invited you into his family as his son or his daughter so that you too, like a child, may grow in wisdom and in stature and favour with God and favour with all the people. And at the moment, the church is not everywhere in favour with God and in favour with people. And maybe we need to start growing more in wisdom and stature so that we can truly represent Christ into this world. And that starts with you and me personally. Don't, as you listen to this first part about the within, don't think of the person next to you and think, I hope they're hearing this. Think of you. What are you like with Jesus? Because sometimes we think of our faith as being either a static thing or a set of beliefs or a set of rules, but it's not any of those things, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And some of you might know that verse. I'm the way, the truth and life. But the verse goes on to say this, no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way to a relationship with God the Father. That's what it really is. It's all about a relationship. It's not about a static thing, a set of rules, a set of doctrines, a set of beliefs. It's actually about an ongoing relationship with the Father who loves you. And you get to love him in return and then you get to love others as he loves you. It's an ongoing relationship. Jesus said this is eternal life. If, you, if someone said to you, describe what eternal life is, well then I would suggest you describe it how Jesus describes it. He says eternal life is to know the Father and to know Jesus, the Son who he sent. That is eternal life and you know him through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's all about, all about this relationship. 
All of it is. And so when we lose sight of that and we turn it into something other than that, we can easily, as Jesus said, not have our lives built upon the rock, have our lives built upon the sand. And when things get difficult, we give up. In fact, we've we realised we came into this with a belief that it would not be difficult. When you read the scriptures, difficulties are the times when this relationship is perfected. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. I just have to explain it because if you haven't read it, you have to understand the premise of this. It's a senior devil instructing a junior devil on um, how to overtake the world and particularly how to disempower those who put their faith in Jesus. So you have to understand this. This is the devil talking. This is not God. And as he's instructing him, he says this, our cause is never more in danger. The cause, by the way, is to stop people loving God and trusting him. Okay, And he says to the junior devil, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, the enemy is God, by the way. Okay, So just get this. I'll read it again. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Now what that means is when you have encountered the love of God, whether it's obvious to you today or not, you still take him at his word you still trust his promises. And the cause of anything to destroy our relationship with God, it's impossible to destroy it then. And that comes back to simply your personal relationship with Jesus. When I used to be youth pastor and I, the vision I had for our youth was this, that they would be freestanding Christians. In other words, as they grow up, they make a decision to know Jesus and therefore whether the youth pastor, this pastor, their friends, their small group leaders fall away, it doesn't affect their relationship with Jesus. And in the end, when you die, it's you and Jesus. You, you won't be able to stand before the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit and that's all you have to go into heaven with. And, and you won't be able to stand before the Lord and say, look, you know, it was going all right, but then Asher did something wrong and I was disillusioned. And God will say, what's it got to do with, what's our relationship got to do with, with Asha? You know, or I was going really well, but then Stu offended me. And God will say, wasn't it a relationship between you and me? And for many of us, it's not. It's reliant on someone else. And you see um, senior pastors around the world fall in some way and, every, and people lose their faith because of it. And therefore the question is, was their faith in a perfect senior pastor? Because if that's what your faith is, then you should go now because you are going to be deeply disappointed. <laughs> we are just all ordinary people playing our part. That's all we're doing. And uh, this is just, this is my part. And um, sometimes cleaning the toilet sounds like a better one, but, you know, this is mine at the moment, so that's what I have. And uh, my aim is just to see overall, to see people have that freestanding relationship with Jesus, that heaven and earth may fall away, but my love for God and his love for me, I know in my heart, will never fall away. And so, therefore, you have to commit yourself to growing in him because, you see, 
you can look at our children and there's an innocence about them, but you don't want to keep them in that. You actually, as a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, you want to see them develop into who they're called to be. And to do that, you don't follow them around with a video camera everywhere they go at school as they're growing up and when they become adults at work to make sure that they're doing what you say and you're tapping them on the shoulder saying, that's not the way I taught you to behave. As a, as a parent, when you go to a parent-teacher interview, what you love is when the teacher says, your child is so polite and respectful. And you think, yes, they're doing what I ask them to do even when I'm not watching. And that's how God is raising you from innocence to maturity, that you would grow to know him and you would do what he asks you to do and you would be who he asks you to be when no one is watching. And we, you forget that maybe God is looking over your shoulder. That, that's becoming a person of strong, independent character. And he gives you the freedom to do that and to engage with him and connect with him and listen to him. But you're no longer just doing it because you don't want to get into trouble like children start off doing. You do it because you love him and you want to serve him. And so 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, All of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if we were looking in a mirror. The veil has been taken from your face and you're looking in a mirror at Jesus. And as you do that, as you just look at him, it says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. You're being transformed. Yes, he makes you something beautiful. Then he makes you something even more beautiful. Then something even more beautiful as you continue to look in his face. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so we're allowing God to transform us. If you grow, if you only do the things that God has asked you to do so that you will belong to the group, you will fall away when you're in another group. If you read the Bible and you think, I better do this because people in the church won't like me if I do this, it's the wrong motivation. Your decision to follow Jesus has to be your decision to follow Jesus because in the end you stand before him. So we can take a moment just to pause and to consider your relationship with him. Worship team's just going to lead us in a song as we do that. Well, not lead us. They're going to sing and you just get a moment to sit, talk to Jesus. Perhaps you've never really encountered Jesus and you don't know how to talk to him, but you could ask him to speak to you because he always loves to speak to you. Perhaps your faith is built on the faith of other people and he's saying to you, will you build it totally on me? There's an old hymn that says, my Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's take a moment, just you and God. You can rely on a lot of other people in this world, but there's something about just you and Jesus that is profound. And what he sees in you is bigger than you can begin to imagine. And then when you get that, you take something to the larger group, which moves us on to the next part of our purpose statement is among. And the, and the title that we've developed from this, from everything that people have fed back, is simply to love like Jesus. 
Because God puts us in community, because we long for community, because God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is community and our hearts yearn for that. And when we know who we are in him, we bring something profound to the group. Graham and I were listening to a podcast earlier this year. Um, it's a Christian man who is uh, has a massive marketing company in the US. He was talking about marketing. He's talking about uh, talking to another guy who does the marketing for Walmart and Target. And he said, he asked him, how do you how do you do the marketing for both these organisations when they're competing? So I don't see them as competing. I just help them to work out what their EST is. Unless you think EST is something weird and strange. Um, it's actually just what it says, EST. So you, you can be the fastest, the tallest, the shortest, the loudest, the softest. It's just an EST at the end of your word. And so as we're driving along listening to this, we talked about our church and the schools that Graham leads and we said, what, what would we love our EST to be? Because when you get your EST, see Walmart, their EST was the cheapest, still is. Therefore, once you decide our EST is the cheapest, everything we do has to be have to make sure we are the cheapest. We have to check that we're cheaper than everyone else. We have to find ways of making it cheap. So that becomes, that's what drives us. Uh, but for Target, they chose the coolest. Don't know if you think we have to go to America to see what American Target's like, but that's their aim, to be the coolest. And that will come through the way they, um, it may be cheap, but they want to look cool as they do that. You see shops try to do that. They're cheap, but they want to make it look really, really cool. They were so intent on this that they even discovered what Walmart uses to polish their floors, what the floor polish smells like, and they found a cooler, apparently, floor polish. <laughs> smells better. Driven by that. So we were talking about this, and I said, what, what would our ST be? And I thought a lot of things went through my mind. And then I thought, wouldn't it be great if our EST was the kindest? You might think kindest sounds soft, but it's actually in Romans 4, it says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness because kindness is strong. Because to be really kind, you've got to be kind when people are mean. You've got to be kind when you disagree. You've got to be kind when you're upset. You've got to be kind when you don't. Kindness is incredibly powerful. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the characteristics of God is kindness and that repentance just doesn't mean saying sorry it's much bigger it means changing your mind seeing the world differently it's God's kindness and enables you to see yourself and others and the world differently it's his kindness so as I thought more about that I was chatting to Stu and I said to him so what would you like our EST to be and he thought and he said I'd like it to be the kindest so I thought, oh, we're aligned. This is good. And um, we're both now kind to each other. We had a <laughs> repentant moment. So as I say that to you, you see, because we're all part of this together, because as a Hmong, we love like Jesus as a community, we are in this together. It's just not me and Stu being kind. Just take this, just take this Sunday service and imagine if we said our EST every Sunday, this would be the kindest place that anyone in this whole region can come to, kinder than any place. And what would you do? What would your part be to make it the kindest? Now, there was someone new who went to buy a coffee and um, the person in front of them had paid it forward. That was kind. 
There's so many little kind things that you can do. And if you take it, it's not just Sue and Stu being kind. It's all of us making it the kindest place. Then we get to love like Jesus because it's his kindness that transformed us. It's when you experience his kindness that everything changes. When you see yourself and you experience his kindness. And you and I as individuals are on this journey of transformation. This transformation is played out in us as a group. And you might say, well, I've seen Christians get it wrong. Totally, everyone has. But that doesn't mean you stop there. It's like um, sometimes people say, I can't sing the worship songs because I don't really mean every word, like I will love you for the rest of my life. Well, it's, I see it like this. When people get married, they say vows to one another and they say, I will love you in sickness and health, for better, for worse, richer or poorer. And when they say that, already in their relationship they haven't done that. And everyone knows they're not always going to do that. So they don't say, I'm not going to make a vow to you because I will probably fail you. How would you feel if someone says, look, I love you and I kind of want to commit my life to you, but not totally because I probably won't get it right. What they're saying is, I'm committing my life to you and I'm going to love you through all the good things and the bad things of life. And when I fail you, I will pull myself up and I'll run again. And it's the same like that with our relationship with Jesus and this is how he transforms us and as we commit to one another, we will fail one another. The good thing we have is a God who never fails us. He is perfect towards us and our aim is to be like him. And therefore, we go through this progression in life and you'll notice that there's many progressions in the New Testament that are all about us growing in love for one another and as we do that, it always ends up in the agape love. Agape is the, the pure love of God. This is our aim. So, for instance, 2 Peter 1, 5 to 7. And for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Here's the progression. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. It's interesting that there is a, as a gap between mutual affection, where we all really like each other, to love, where we actually lay down our lives for each other. That's the progression. And then you'll see it too in Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with com compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord gave you, forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Or in Romans 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Every progression the aim is that we love and that sounds great when you're having your quiet time in your little chair by yourself with the sun streaming in the window, doesn't it? But then you've got to get up and you go out and you encounter people. And that's when it comes to problems and trials. And you have to rejoice in them because they're developing endurance. Things can sound great in theory, but in practice. You join a small group and someone irritates you. You join a team to serve and someone is annoying or they see it differently to you, which is the worst thing. 
And you have to learn to be transformed and to love these people and realise it's not all about you. And you have a family and you have friends and you have colleagues and we're called to bring that love of God. But in our church, we do it together. Here there's an emperor in uh, around the mid-300s called Julian the Apostate. That's his name. I don't think he called himself the Apostate. Others called him the Apostate. And uh, it says Julian the Apostate wanted to revive pagan religion in the mid-300s. And he gave a most helpful insight into how the church spread because as he's trying to redevelop paganism because by this stage Christianity has flooded the world, he said this, this opponent of the faith said that Christianity has been specially advancing through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care of the burial of the dead. It's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the Christians care not only for their own poor but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help we should render them. So the reason that he couldn't get rid of it was because of the kindness of the people, not just to their own but to everyone else, to those who agreed with them, to those who disagreed with them, even to their enemies. The church spread because during times of plague, the Christians looked after the people even to the point of losing their own lives. They developed care for the poor and the marginalised and no one stands against kindness. Everyone loves to be loved unconditionally. And because you and I have been loved unconditionally, that is the big gift that we have to bring to the world. On the surface, the earlier Christians appeared powerless and weak. They were an easy target for scorn and ridicule. One of the reasons being, we forget, we don't understand this, but when Jesus came as a leader who was humble, people had never seen that before. So leaders were like some of the dictators you see around the world today who just exert their power and use fear to control the masses. And then Jesus came in for the first time, people saw a leader who led through humility. And that brought scorn because people wanted to see people who were full of themselves. They had no great financial resources. This is the early Christians. No great financial resources, no buildings, no social status, no government approval, no respect from the educators. And after they became separated from their first century association with the Jewish synagogues, they lacked institutional backing and an ancient tradition to appeal to. So they had everything stripped from them. And that was good for them. Because what what finally mattered is what they did have. They had a faith have a faith in a God who is bigger than them, a faith in a God who loves them and who cares for them, who fills them with his spirit, who walks with them. They have that and that can't be taken away. They had a fellowship. They had each other and they were devoted to one another and they had a new way of life. They saw the world differently and they actually knew and believed that they could bring transformation to the world and they did, even though they started off hiding in caves. They had a confidence that their Lord was alive in heaven and guiding their daily lives These were the important things and it made all the difference in laying a Christian foundation for all of Western civilization. So eventually they came out of those catacombs and through the people that they were and the love they had for people and the hope that was placed in their hearts and they're always ready to give an answer to why they had this hope in their hearts, they actually transformed the world. Because the way the body of Christ best operates is the way of humility. And some of you may have heard about the revival that's happened in Asbury recently in the United States. And uh, when Graham and I were in England, we heard from a couple of people who were there and they said that the hallmark of that revival was humility and kindness. And that's how people were experiencing the living God. And so 
to do this where we need to remember who we are, to come together as an effective group among, loving among, each one of us needs to personally remember who we are. And Paul Tripp writes this, I love Sunday mornings for the worship because I can be an identity amnesiac. I can forget who I am. And that worship service once again reminds me of the glories and the security and the peace and the rest and the hope that's found in being a child of God. That's why the Apostle Paul says, don't forsake gathering together. We need to do this to remember who we are and to be there for one another. Don't look down on people because what you have you didn't earn and you could have never deserved. You've been given it by grace. We so often can fall into spiritual pride and smugness, thinking what we have, somehow we deserved it. Somehow we worked out the formula for prayer or the formula for such and such, but it's all by grace. Reflect the love that you have received. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what you've been given. Nobody gives grace better than a person who's deeply persuaded that he needs it himself. The more grace, the more you realise the grace you need, the more you will freely give it to others. As Jesus did this, he exchanged his crown for an apron. And you see this at the Last Supper when he's gathering around the table with his disciples. And before he breaks the bread and takes the cup, he does this. It says this in John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then he proceeds to wash the feet of his disciples, the role of the lowest servant. And it comes from this. Look at this first bit of that. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and he had come from God and he was returning to God. So because he knew who he was, he was able to serve. He served out of power because he was secure in who he was in Christ. He was secure in the love of the Father for him. He knew where he'd come from. He knew he was going. He knew how he was going to get there. He knew he was about to be crucified. He knew it was going to be painful, but he was secure in the love and the protection of God. Therefore, he could take off his crown and put on an apron. And God is calling us to do the same in our love for one another, to take off our crowns. The crown is whatever makes you higher or thinks, makes you think you are better than someone else. It could be in your lowest form of, you, you could work and you could be the bottom of the rung in your work, but you could have a crown of superiority because you think everyone above you gets it all wrong. It doesn't matter what your status is in your role, it's how you see others. You can have a very low job, but you can see yourself as superior. And if you did that, you would, the whole company would be running perfectly. And we need to actually know who we are. We are recipients of the grace of God. The only, we only have good things in our lives because of the love he has given us and therefore we take off our crowns and we wash each other's feet. Mother Teresa said, it's not how much we give but how much we love we put into giving. That's what makes the difference. As Jesus said, you can give all your money away and you give your body to be burned but if you don't have love, it's nothing. And, and Jesus also said that on that last day, some of you will say, but didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, I didn't know you. It's about being filled with him and giving that same love to others and remembering who we are. So now we're going to have a time of communion to remember who we are, to remember who he is. And then we're going to finish off by looking at the among. But when you come out to take 
communion and you come to take the bread. The bread is a little heart-shaped piece of bread which is made by Injay who serves in our cafe. She was in the 837. She's made enough bread for every one of us today in the shape of a heart with the sign of the cross on the top of it. That's a beautiful example of sacrificial love for all of us. And it's a special bread. Injay is originally from Korea and it's a special bread that's used symbolically in Korea for communion. And it's an unleavened bread. And as you take this, it reminds you that the body broken is we all become one body in Christ. So as you take this bread, remind yourself that you are connected to this amazing group of people, this amazing group of imperfect people, but you are connected to this amazing group of people and you have the privilege of loving them as Christ loves you. And so you take the bread and you remember that he died so that we could be made one with each other. And then when you take the cup, you remember this, that um, just as we're talking about the marriage vows, his vows to you are perfect. You may say to him, Lord, I will love you, and you will trip and you will fall and you will mess up and you may even run away from him for a time and then come back. And he'll be there waiting because his side of the vows is this, I will always be faithful to you. I will never desert you. I will love you through the ups and downs of life. And as you take the cup, remember his faithful love to you. So I'm going to invite you now to do that, um, just to come and find a station around the place here where people will go to now and and just take the bread and the cup as you want to. And on the screen will be some a prayer that you can pray and in your heart and mind. And you can have your time with God as you follow those prayers that are on the screen.
Father God, would you remind me now of the ways in which I have sinned today in thought, word or deed. I take a moment to confess my sins before you now. God of grace, thank you that when I was lost, you found me. and When I was ashamed, you forgave me, nailing the accusations against me to the cross. I receive your forgiveness now. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. You see how this time of communion generates in us great humility to actually be a group of people who would come together and admit our weaknesses and our failures is not normal. It's strange. But that's where growth starts, when we have the courage because there's something in us as human beings that uh, wants to prove that we're good and, uh, and it's an illusion. But when we come to him and he fills us with his goodness, it's wonderful. It's actually freeing to be able to come and say, I don't have it all together. It's, it's liberating to know that someone would make up the difference for you. And when we do that, as we come together in humility as a community, it moves us under the third area, which is beyond, which the title we've given this is to impact the world beyond us. Because when I go back to the island of Milos, that's what they did. They impacted the world beyond them. They had a vision to do this collectively. And one thing I've discovered as I look through the Bible is that there are no spectators. Well, there are spectators actually in the Bible and they're all dead. They're alive. That just means they're not here. So you are running a race and we collectively are running a race and the only spectators are those who have finished the race and you haven't finished the race. Sometimes we feel as, as Christians that we're spectators watching other people, but we're not. In this world you can choose this, you can choose to live for yourself or you can simply say, no, I really believe in love, which a lot of people do, and therefore I will be kind and generous to others. Or you can choose to live for Jesus. And the reason that way far exceeds the other way, or self, live for self, it means that you just live for yourself. You can be kind to others, but you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to understand the depths of other people. You don't have the grace of God to fill you with his kindness. And when you choose to live for Jesus, he fills you with his spirit. He gives you his wisdom. He speaks to you. And you get to do things that are way beyond your own power. And you actually get to really love people because he shows you how to really love them, how to really understand them, how to really pray for them, how to really bless them. He calls you to do things that you would never have thought of doing by yourself. And you actually do not, you no longer live for yourself. And you don't even live for others to look better because sometimes we can be kind and generous. And even in our self centered way, we want people to know that we're kind and generous because it kind of makes us look a little bit more dignified. But Jesus is calling us to be people who actually love from a place of humility and service. There's a a Japanese Christian leader in the 19th century. Toahiko Kagawa, he said, It is not enough to have ideals. We must translate them into action. We must clear our own little corner of creation. And each of us have been given our own little corner of creation, whether it's your home, your family, your workplace. Together we've been given this region of Newcastle and the Hunter, our own little corner of creation. And then God has entrusted us with other, other parts of the world, like um, Uganda where we have a clinic and other places that we serve. And this, this um, Japanese man, Toahiko, said he was struck by the verse, Acts 10.38, that said Jesus went around doing good. And he looked at himself and say, said, I just go around. 
Do you want to go around or go around doing good? Jesus was intentional with his life. And in Galatians 6, 9, it says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Sometimes we get tired because you don't see any breakthroughs. But Jesus, but um, Paul says, Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Just don't give up. It may seem like it's not working, but just don't give up. And so we ask ourselves this question, Am I content to enjoy the privilege of knowing God without ever asking what he might be calling me to do. Truly am I content with that. I just enjoy the privilege, but I never ask, what can I do? What can I give? How can I serve? I never ask, God, what's on your heart and how can I serve you with what's on your heart? Or how can I say thank you? There's a verse in um, Romans 12, 1, which is actually if you do the Bible app, devotional it's there today Romans 12 1 therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper proper worship and the uh, the man sharing about that today says this he was raised with manners if someone bought him something he was taught to say thank you if someone opened the door for him he was taught to say thank you if someone saved a space for him he was taught to say thank you and he said this is all our worship is because Jesus has bought your redemption with a price. He's opened the door for you to come into the, the heavenly kingdom of our, of our heavenly father and he saved a place for you at the table, at his banqueting table. And your life says or doesn't say thank you. And collectively we come together to say thank you. And what we do and how we love one another and how we love him and how we worship and how we serve the world beyond us is how we say thank you. We recognise the good things he's given us, the beauty in creation, the beauty in people. We see the problems in the world, but we realise that in him we have a solution. And so we offer ourselves and say thank you. And we do this through faith. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now I'm just going to finish with this, this verse because this is really important to understand. Sometimes, as I said right at the start, we want a vision that we can grasp. We want a plan that we can understand. But you and I are called to something much bigger than that. So what this verse is saying is that promises of God who's the God of the impossible, a yes in Christ. In other words, the death and the resurrection of the Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit has broken the powers of darkness and makes anything possible. But you and I have a part to play. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And amen means so be it or I am in agreement. You have to come into agreement with the promises of God. And we collectively have to, have to come into an agreement with the promises of God. And then we begin to, begin to see his power working through us collectively in ways that we could not have planned for ourselves. And this is an incredibly important thing to grasp. The yes is in Christ, but the amen is spoken through us. We have to come into agreement. You have to come into agreement yourself in prayer for people that you're praying for, for situations that you're praying for, for the financial and other resources that we need to do what we're called to do. The amen is spoken by us collectively. And how are we going to do this? Well, if you're in our church 10 years ago, we had a theme that year, 2013, that was take him at his word. And taking it his word is, is where we began our challenges. Instead of having sermon series, 
which you may love the sound of sermon series. Personally, it sounds a little dull to me. And uh, I like the idea of a challenge because sermon series can mean, yes, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that interesting information with me. Rather than, hang on, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to me today? And what am I going to do about it? I need to take God at his word. I need to take his promises as he says, these are promises. I need to do what he's asking me to do and believe what he's asking me to believe. And therefore, I'm going to take him at his word. And so in our 10th anniversary of taking him at his word, we're setting that as our theme for the next three years because we have the vision bringing heaven to earth. We have the three purpose statements of within, among and beyond. But how do we do that? There's a vehicle in which that happens and it's by taking God at his word. And uh, these Bibles, these beautiful white Bibles, which were donated by Anna and Andrzej Borzostowski in memory of their son Shimon, um, our Take Him at His Word Bibles, there's a little logo there. And inside, all our challenges for that year are there and you can take them and go through them. There's a verse for every day for six weeks, a six-week challenge. It takes three weeks to change your mind and six weeks to really set it. And so if you do everyone one every day for six weeks, you will go through an entire transformation process. I promise you that will happen if you do that. And so these Bibles are available in our bookshop. Whether you have one, don't have a Bible or you'd like to go through that, I encourage you to go and get one because this is what we collectively decide to do, to take God at his word. And so to do this, to finish off, I'd like to pray. And prayer will come up on the screen. And I encourage you to do one of two things, to pray it yourself between you and God or to turn to someone next to you and say, could I pray this blessing over you? Let me read it first and then... um, I'll give you a time to pray it. Father, you've called us into being through your power and your love. You've joined us to one another through the love of Christ. How good and pleasant it is when your people dwell together in unity. May your light shine on us that we may reflect you. Give me, and if you're praying for another person, that person, the strength to carry your blessing from this place to the next. May we take you at your word so that we will be guided by you every moment of every day. May we remember how precious the gift of life is and may we be filled afresh with your spirit who is life. May we always rejoice, always pray, always give thanks. We are constantly restless until we rest in you. May we know you increasingly day by day and experience a deeper fullness of your presence with us. May we be fuller in glory and joy as we are transformed into your likeness. May we go in your peace to love and serve you in the same way you love and serve us. Amen. So you have a time now to pray that by yourself or to turn to someone else or to walk across the room to someone else and say, may I pray for you. And as that happens, you are going to receive one of these strategic maps and uh, it looks like this on the outside. You open up and there it is on the inside, the strategic map with some questions inside here for you to take home and ponder and to look at it and see what grabs your heart and what part do you play in taking taking God at his word and seeing heaven come to earth. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.